have a uh, quick privilege today. How many of you have met Kevin Rivas before? Yeah. How many of you are in our Casavina small group, our bilingual small group? Uh-oh, I see some people like, hey. Like, well, one of the things we wanted to update you on is we have been desiring to join the mission of God in the cities we love. Almost 24 years ago, our church was planted with a passion to see more churches planted. And one of the ways we see that happening is in just how God is weaving stories together of people who want to join the mission of God in the cities we love here. Kevin and his family and the extended family um, of their team that moved here from California with a vision to plant bilingual churches for Vineyard here in the Houston area. And as we've been spending time together and building friendship, we just see God uniting our hearts and what we see is the need for that kind of ministry here in this place, in these cities. And so we are excited about how God is launching an expression for our local church called Casa Vina, which will be a bilingual expression of Vineyard Church Pearland. And Kevin will be pastoring that expression and watching it grow. And so we just wanted you to hear that part of the story. We're going to tell more about that along the way. But would you welcome Kevin, pastor of Casa Vina? One, two, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis. I am, I am excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. Um, I do want to start with kind of setting some expectations. Um, and please understand how it, I, I, this week has been a very interesting week. Uh, ups and downs. Um, full of uh, happy moments, sad moments, challenging moments. Um, but nevertheless, I feel pregnant. I feel like I have something. And I feel like uh, God wants to speak to us this morning. So if you're ready to hear from God, say, see. Sí. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Seriously, expect to hear from God today, not because of what I can do, not because of my talent, not because of, of the 27 pages that I have of my notes, right? But because he continues to speak to us today. The Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and always. I believe that God wants to use this opportunity to remind you, to remind me that we are more than conquerors, that we are the head and not the tail, and to remind you that we are fighting a fixed fight. We are fighting, this side got it, we are fighting a fixed fight. We are fighting a fixed fight. We are fighting a fight that is fixed. So today, I want to take a couple of minutes to really uh, hunker down on the series that we have been in for the last couple of weeks. And I, I want to be honest with you. I don't, I'm not even sure if I'm going to get to all my points. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I've been wrestling with, with my notes. I've been wrestling with what the Spirit is prompting me to do and say. And, and we're going to do the best we can uh, this, this morning. So, so buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. So this Lent season, we've been on this Lent season for a couple of weeks, 
And we've been on our series titled The Collision. And one of the challenges that we have as, as speakers, as, as people that are going to bring the word, one of the challenges that we have, or maybe just me, but I believe that many of us that speak, we are always trying to find the tone, the tonality of how we are going to present what we're going to present. And, and so when I read the collision... When I read that title, it reads confrontation. It reads a fight. It reads that we are going to confront something. So, 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 so immediately I think, okay, this, this cannot be a sermon or a teaching uh, that has to have some, some soft language. And, you know, so it's, you, you, there, there's something that entices you when you hear the word collision. There's something that moves in you when, it, when you hear the word fight, confrontation. I'm going to confront something. And that's what we're seeing here in this series that we're seeing. So on week one, Kurt shared with us about Jesus getting baptized. He's being filled by the Holy Spirit. And mind you, he's being taken by the Holy Spirit to the desert to be tempted. Don't miss that. He is taken by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted. But we see that in his baptism, we see that Jesus is fully identified. We see that he is loved. We see that he is secured as God's only begotten son. So in week two, Kurt also taught us that Jesus had his first temptation. We see that he's tempted in hunger. We see that he is tempted physically. And the devil, Satan asked him, turn these stones into bread. Turn these stones into bread. And we see that Jesus overcomes the temptation with the written word of God. And, and, and he taught us that God's word is the true bread of life. He taught us that it's the spirit. Spiritual bread, God is the word of life. He is our spiritual sustenance. He also taught us that the opposition is real. Temptation is real. And Satan is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. And last week, Kelly unpacked the reality of Jesus' second temptation where Satan is presenting Jesus with an opportunity to kind of take a shortcut to his mission, to his promise, to the vision, to the calling, to what he was purposed for. Satan tells him, you can have all this if you just worship me. You can avoid all the temptation. You can avoid all the pain. You can avoid all the hardship if you just kneel down and worship me right now. So again, we see that Jesus overcomes the temptation by the written word of God. That God is the only one that deserves true worship. Kelly showed us, taught us that worship is a posture of the heart. It's the act of spending time with God to deepen our love and our respect for him. To become more like him. So today, we're going we're gonna to unpack the last temptation Jesus had to deal with. So I would like us to read what his, what his, what his third temptation consisted of. So read with me. Finally, the devil 
took Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on top of the temple. The devil said, if you are the God's son, jump off. The scriptures say, God will tell his angels to take care of you. They will catch you in their arms and you will not even hurt your feet on the stones. And we see Jesus counter. He says, yo, the scriptures also say, don't try to test the Lord your God. So I've titled this, this section of, uh, of our series, I've titled it, Satan is Real and Your God-Given Identity and Authority. But I've used the subtopic because it, it relates more to me and it relates to what I want to convey to you this morning. And the subtitle is, The Hype is Real. Are you? So, so wake your neighbor up and tell them, hey, the hype is real. Are you? The hype is very real. Are you? So I, 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 I want to start family with, with, with it kind of explains something about myself, my heritage, my family. I grew up in a Hispanic family. Surprise, surprise. So we had a tendency, and we continue to, to in many aspects, we continue to have a tendency, a flair for, for the dramatic, right? We, 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 the, the more we can exaggerate something, the, the more we can be more dramatic about something, the better, right? And it doesn't matter what topic it could be. It, it could be whatever topic, you know, if we had a, a, a family member, our girl cousin who was presenting her boyfriend to the family and he was short in stature, oh my God, we would eat him up. How short was he? Oh my God, he was so short. You could barely see his head. I mean, it was bad. I mean, he was really short. Really, really short. I mean, we, we would just, and mind you, this is not to be offensive. It's to be dramatic. We, we like to exaggerate things, right? How tall was he? How tall was he? Oh, my God, he, he, his head almost scraped the ceiling. I mean, it was bad. He barely fit on a car. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, he was that tall. I mean, he, tall, too tall, right? Uh, when I was, I, 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 at one point, I was weighing uh, about 320 plus pounds, and I, I remember uh, growing up, I was always on, on the heavy side. And my brothers were mean, mean, so mean. And um, not to be offensive, but to be dramatic, just to be dramatic. And I remember one brother telling me, hey, you know what? I know three overweight people. You're two of them. <laughs> I mean, just, just dramatic, just super dramatic. Seriously. Uh, or or it, it didn't matter if you were overweight or if you were thin. If you were thin, we would also eat you up. Oh, my God, how thin was she? Oh, my God, she's flying out. I mean, she needs heavy, she needs, she needs sand on her shoes. I mean, she's that thin. She's going to fly out anytime. So it was, and in some aspects, continues to be part of our culture. So, so understand that, I mean, someone... Uh, Who's, who was of, of my physical nature that loves to eat. And if I only went to the buffet line to simply eat salad, oh, my God. It was like, man, you, you could compete for a national eating contest, and you're eating salad. What is wrong? So we had a flair for the dramatic. So growing up, I thought everyone was like that. 
Growing up, I, I, my circle of friends, my family members, we were all the same. So growing up in a household of, of five boys and, and one girl made us highly, highly competitive. Super competitive. We were always trying to outdo each other. I remember we had a swimming pool in our home many, many, many years ago. And we had a diving board. And we were trying to see who could jump off, jump off the highest. So we were always trying to up the ante. So at one point, we put like a five-gallon barrel on the diving board, and we were trying to, okay, and we were trying to just make it higher. So I had the clever idea. He said, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the oldest. I'm alpha. I, I need to set the bar. So we had a shed with a, with, a, with a roof that was maybe 12 feet tall. It's like, you know, I'm going to jump from right there. So believe me. Family, I, I, I have the, the x-rays and the fractures to prove to you that I set the bar pretty high. But that's what we did. That was okay. That was what we did. We, we, would, we would always be, had a flair for the dramatic. So I quickly realized that we also had this affinity for food and movies. So when I missed the movie that I really loved, that I really wanted to get, go see, and my family and my friends went before me, oh, my God. You should have seen it. It was the best movie of the year. No, no, no. The other one. No, of the century. Oh, no, ever. It, it was the best movie. Awesome movie. You, sh- you, you, you needed to be there. Uh, you should have seen it. You know what? Don't even go anymore. Don't even, just, 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 you know, maybe you catch a second season. Maybe it'll make sense for you, but just don't go. The hype was real. Or if I miss going to a special restaurant that I really wanted to go, and they went before me, they would say, Kevin, bro, the biscuits. It was amazing. You should have seen the size of this steak. It was bigger than my head. And then my brother would say, no, it was like 20 pounds. Oh, no, it was the biggest. I mean, it would just, just flare it up, right? I'm trying to make a point. And we were dramatic. The hype was real. So this hype was not limited to just movies or food. It was also in church. So... As you, as you guys can see by my, 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 my vigor, you know, I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And seeing people uh, jump over chairs and, and, and jump over benches and run around the church and scream and, and cry was, was a very, very normal Sunday morning. That's very normal. Uh, recovering Pentecostal, say amen. <laughs> amen, yeah. So almost anything made us break out in ministry or tongues. Seriously. So we had a good plate of food, and we had the plate of food, and we would all, samaraka, we would just break out in tongues. You know, or, 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 or we got, uh, we, it, was, it was payday. It was, oh, God is good. Oh, forever God is good. Thank you, Jesus, for this payday. Amazing. Or we would get an A on our report card. It's like, God is good. I don't even know how I got this A, but I thank God today for this A. Amen. Can I get a witness? I mean, we would just break out in ministry. Oh, we would rebuke and cast out demons from anything and anyone Dial-up internet was not working out, you evil spirit. 
We had a, you know, there was a, there was a girlfriend, there was a girl that I wanted to talk to, and another guy was talking to that girl that I liked in church many years ago, and I would say, you evil spirit of division, out! I mean, we just rebuke everything and anything. Ah, oh, it was real. It was real. But an area that was super hyped was the topic of Satan. <laughs> And, and, and I want to warn you, my recovering Pentecostals, this, will go, this is going to kind of bring out some suppressed memories. But as kids, we were all petrified when it came to that topic of Satan. Because the hype lined up with the experience. I would see people under demonic possession just slither on the floor like snakes and, and contour their bodies in very, very odd, disfiguring positions. And to make it worse, to make it worse I belong to the, the Pentecostal branch that believed if you had your eyes open, when someone was under the possession, that spirit would jump from them to you. So you could imagine 17 kids. Hey, my mom, close your eyes, close your eyes. The devil's going to jump on you. You could imagine, oh, my God. And then you're curious. You open your eyes like, oh, my God, the devil's in me. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was amazingly scary. The hype was real. The hype was very real. But like everyone else... I didn't stay a kid. We didn't stay kids. I went to school. I went to college. And I got too smart. I got too intellectual to believe in stuff like Satan and demonic influence. I got too smart for my own good. I just believe people needed Prozac. I just believe people needed some antidepressant. And ignored the reality of evil and Satan at work in the world. And then I started adulting. For my boomers, adulting, adulting is uh, when, when it's, it's a combination between adult and growing up. So it's, it's growing up as an adult. Uh, for my millennials that don't know it, that's what it means. Uh, for my Gen Zers, I know that I'm, that's probably not a word anymore. But adulting, I'm sticking with that word. So I started adulting. And I started to see the real world. I started to see the violence. I started to see the mass murders. I started to see the rape. I started to see the sex trafficking. I started to see news about parents killing their, 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 their kids and kids killing their parents. I started to see the racial tensions, the reality of racial tension. I started to see the injustice. I started to see my friends. I started to see them. I started losing them to suicide, to addictions, to drugs, to depression, and I came to a realization. Satan is real. Satan is real. Make no mistake about it. He is seeking you out to destroy you. There's no day that he, that goes by, that he looks at you and looks at you with utter hate. 
There's no day that goes by that he thinks of you and he's thinking how to take you out. Take you out emotionally, mentally, and yes, even physically. Seeking your utter destruction. The moment that I said, the moment that you said, I have decided to follow Jesus, you went on the hit list of hell. Man, my amens are dying down, but it, you know. We're on the Satan's hit list of hell. But it is written. My Pentecostal friends, that was a jumping moment. It is written that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. For my, for my recovering Baptist friends, no weapon. It is written that no weapon formed against us will prosper. So family, we are in the middle of a showdown, a fight, a collision. We have a collision of powers. We have a spiritual collision. We see that Jesus is tempted three times. He's tempted physically. He is tempted in his ambitions, his aspirations. You know what? Worship me right now. You know, you, you can have this now instead of the, the future promise or the, your mission. He was also tempted on this last one, his self-worth. Temptations are real. I define temptation as satisfying a legitimate want or need in an illegitimate way. Temptation is satisfying a legitimate want or a need in an illegitimate way. There's nothing wrong with Jesus being hungry. It's actually a physical need. There's nothing wrong with having ambitions or aspirations. There's nothing wrong with wanting to know your self-worth. What is wrong is trying to satisfy it in an illegitimate way. So Satan comes to Jesus when he is feeling hungry, when he's feeling vulnerable, when he's feeling the weight of his calling and his, pur and his purpose and his identity. He is feeling weak. I need you to understand that the devil, Satan, is not going to play fair. If you're waiting for him to follow some rules, you've already lost. But notice this. Don't miss the reality of, of, of this story that on, the, on, on two of three occasions that, G, that Satan tempted Jesus, before he tempted him with an offer, he asked something very specific. If you, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, he's questioning his authority. He's questioning his identity. And one of the reasons I believe that we fall into temptation is because we forget who we are. Okay, I, I, five minutes. I'm, we're, we're, we're inching up there. So I define identity as who and what God says I am. 
That is identity. I could give you the seminar, the, the seminar uh, the, uh, description and definition, but I, I want to break it down to a point where we understand identity in our context of faith means who and what God says I am. And when dealing with identity, we have to understand one true fact. And it's something that I've come to understand in, the la- in, in this last year. And it's the principle of exception. And this principle of exception simply suggests that what happens with them does not dictate and determine what happens to me. Let me break it down. In other words, previous patterns are not always accurate indications of future possibilities. You cannot look at what happened with most people and conclude what is possible for me. You can't look at what happened with most people my age and conclude what's possible for people my age. You cannot look at people with my gender and think what's possible for people with my gender. You cannot look at people with my race and think and conclude what's possible for me with my gender and my race. You cannot look what happened to my family. And conclude what's possible with me and my family. You cannot look at what happened to most people in the city and conclude what's possible for me in my city. Because when I read in the Bible, I read that my God, that your God, is the God that orchestrates exceptions. Listen carefully. Most women in their 90s are not supposed to give birth. But with Sarah, God made an exception. Men don't go in the lion's den and come out unscarred, unscathed. But with Daniel, God made an exception. Men don't go in the fiery furnace. They don't go in the fiery furnace. And only sm- and not even smell like smoke, but with the Hebrew boys, God made an exception. You don't walk around six days around the wall and seven days on the wall and seven times on the seven days and then shout and then the walls fall down. But with Joshua, God made an exception. You don't walk La Via Dolorosa. You don't get crucified on a hill called Calvary. You're not buried and then buried all day Friday evening, all day Saturday, all day Saturday night, and early Sunday evening you rise up. But with Jesus, God made an exception. So listen, so if God did it for Sarah... If he did it for Daniel, if he did it for the Hebrew boys, and he did it for Joshua and Jesus, he can do it for you. Woo, man. Because my identity does not come from being like everyone else. It comes from my difference. It doesn't mean that I am better than. It doesn't mean that I am less than. It just means that I'm different from. Please understand that reality. You have been created. You have been called. You have been commissioned to be the exception. 
And I can say this with complete confidence. If you objectively look at the majority of the scriptures that, that, the, wor- that the, word, uh, the words that scripture use to describe a believer, normal is not one of them. I'm serious. You're the salt of the world. You're the light. You are chosen. You are peculiar. You are the head and not the tail. You are priest. You are called. You are chosen. You are loved. But normal is not a word the Bible uses. So these are all words that the scripture used to describe the believer and God's intention to understand their exception, but most importantly, understand their identity. But I have a question. It's a key question. It's a quintessential question. It's a consequential question. If I am that, why does God go through such great lengths To keep telling me and repeating me that I am that. Because you would think if I am already it, won't I already be that? But he keeps repeating himself. Repeating obsessively, incessantly. Keeps reminding you and me that we are not normal. And if the actions of God are intentional, and they are, it means that he's doing that for a particular reason. If he is repeating himself, he's repeating himself for a reason. And he's not repeating it because he needs to remember. He's repeating it because I need to hear it and I need to remember it. I need to hear it again. He is repeating himself because he understands a reality that you and I need to embrace. That when he wants us to behave in a way, he needs us to behave in a way that he sees ourselves and not how we see ourselves. This is the reality. You will always behave in a way in how you see yourself. The wisest person in the world wrote it this way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In the, uh, in the, uh, the Kevin contemporary version, that says, you are what you think. So God is saying, I have to be telling you this. Because I am engaging in mental warfare where it's a a conflict between what you think about you and what I think about you. So I keep telling you what I think about you because I, I need to override what you keep thinking about yourself. And I need you to be consistent in the way I think about you versus the way you think about you. How far you go, how far you go, and how much you grow, it's not just based on what you believe on God. <laughs> I'm starting to shake something. How far you go and how much you grow, it's not just based on what you believe about God. 
and I am in the book. I am in the scripture. How far you go and how much you grow is not just predicated on what you believe about God. It's equally impacted by what you believe about yourself, your identity. We see a story in the Bible in Numbers 13 that Israel was not able to possess the promised land, not because they saw God wrong, but because they didn't see themselves right. They said, we are, in their eyes, as grasshoppers. So their problem was not the giant in the land. Their problem was the grasshopper in their head. Your grasshopper is bigger than your giant and is robbing you of your true identity. It's, it, it was their imposter syndrome that entrapped them to a degree that they talked themselves out of a fixed fight. The fight was fixed. The only way they could not win is to not fight. And the devil used a grasshopper to talk them out of a fight that was fixed. So I don't know, I don't know, I don't know who's in a fight here today. I don't know who's in a battle here today. But I came to tell you that the fight is fixed. Really? The fight is fixed. The fight is rigged. But what is in the way of the giant is the grasshopper in your mind. So they settled for the wilderness when they could have had Canaan, not because they saw God wrong, but because they didn't see themselves right. And this is what, and this is the saddest reality that God let them settle there because God will let you live on whatever level you settle on. If you just settle for the, the, the God that did things yesterday and 10 years ago. And I remember when it was really good. I remember when we were able to do this. If you settle for that and, you be, and that becomes part of your identity, then that's what you're only going to experience. But if you believe that your God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you ask, seek, or imagine, you can experience that right now. Right now. And I want to know if I'm talking to some people that are saying, you know what, there's no settling in me. I am, I am not going to give up this easy. I've done all the settling that I'm going to do. I have cried too much. I have fought too much. I have prayed too much. I, it's not going to go down this easy. The devil has come into my life, tried to rob me of my identity. But I know who I am. I am what God and who God says I am. So this is where I want to contextualize this. I know that Satan has spoken to you. I know. You are not your weakness. 
You are not your sickness. You are not the result of something. You are not a mistake. And and Satan is coming and speaking to you as he was with Jesus. If you are the Son of God. And Satan comes and whispers to our mind, to our spirit, I thought you were a believer. I thought that your, your God was going to save you. I thought you were a Jesus follower. And look at your marriage. Look at your finances. Look at your family. Completely and utterly destroyed. Identity is not what the world says I am, but what and who God says I am. Now, I want to show you this, and this is very impromptu. Can someone call my son really quick? My son, you know? I I, want to show you. I want to show you this amazing principle. And this has been completely unrehearsed. I haven't really spoken to my kids all week. Can I get, can I, I've I've been away. I think his reaction is going to be great. Hi. Come here. But it's a principle that I believe. Come here, puppy. Right here. Right here. Stand right here. You're okay. You're not in trouble. <laughs> but it is a principle that someone, a child, can grasp immediately. Watch. You are Tomás Rodríguez. Is that your name? No. But I'm saying you are Tomás Rodríguez. Yes or no? No. If someone calls you by Thomas Rodríguez, Will you respond to that name? No. Why won't you respond to that name? Because it's not my name. What is your name? Full name. Kevin Anthony Rivas, Jr. Say it again. Full, with power. (laughs) Uh, Kevin Anthony Rivas, Jr., the second. Who, who gave you that name? My parents. And you believe what I say? You believe everything I say? If I gave you that name, does it matter what anyone else calls you? It doesn't matter. Because that's the name I gave you. Are you going to respond to another name other than your name? Why? Because that is your name. And you recognize that you have no other name. 
right? And you trust me, right? You understand that if that's the name Papa gave you, it doesn't matter what everyone else calls you, right? Is that easy to understand? There's no confusion? You're not confused about it? You don't, you don't have to go to like prayer meetings about your identity? <laughs> I'm, I'm going somewhere. You, you don't have to pray to God, show me who I am? No? You don't, you don't have to constantly come to me and tell me, Dad, I forgot my name. No. No? You don't have to tell me, show me my name in your word. Oh, precious father that you are. Oh, highly exalted one. You, you just simply know your name. Right? You know who you are. Because you know who I am. Right? And that's enough, right, for you? Yes. Thank you, puppy. I told you I wasn't going to get to my points. But, but this is, I, this is, I do want to close with this. I was, I, was, I was in prayer this week, and I do want to release this word that I believe God gave me, not only for this church, but the, for, for the body of Christ. And, and, and his plans... That he has. Listen. The church. Has forgotten. Who. And what. It is. And it doesn't just go to an individual level. We have forgotten who and what we are. And it's great to see revivals sprouting up in different places. But I pray not only for revival, I pray for a long, a stretched out revival that doesn't last weeks. And that only happens if we grasp and understand who and what we are. And sometimes the most important thing for us to understand who we are is to simply go back to our roots and, and believe me, believe me, I, I, it's like, there's no way I'm becoming a Pentecostal. No way, no way. But then God showed me that there are some things that I can redeem. There are some things that can be used for his glory. So I don't want to simply talk about, oh, it was so great 25 years ago. I've been reading about the Welsh revival. I've been reading about the Azusa revival. I've been reading about all, all these revivals. And my heart keeps on saying, Jesus, do it again. And he keeps on saying, just remember who you are.
Remember. And I'll say this. When you've been a victim of identity theft and you've had your identity stolen, you go to great lengths to recover your identity. You will stop at nothing to recover what's been lost. You will move heaven and hell to make sure that your credit is back to 780. Because that is precious to you. Because all these transactions that have been made in your name has not been you. What the devil has been telling you who you are has not been you, has not been the person God has called you to be. And I want you to understand this principle, and this is my last point, I promise. When you understand your identity, you have authority. My son only understands his identity because he understands who I am. And when he understands who I am, he understands who he is. And when he understands who he is, he can exercise whatever authority I can give him. In our household, it plays out this way. I can tell my son, go tell your sister to go clean her room. I don't have to be present, but I have tasked him. I have deputized him. I have authorized him to carry the word of authority to her sister, to his sister. And guess what? She does it. Daddy says to clean your room. And it's the same thing as if I should have said it. The same. There's no, there's, there's no confusion. There's no doubt. There's no ambiguity. Because she believes who he is, and he believes who he is, and he believes who I am. So the hype is real. Are you? Are you? Are you living your true God? Made in the image of God's self. Are you? What we hear about God, what we hear about Satan is real. But the real question is, are you?